Our reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 24. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, a very good morning. Uh, It's lovely to see you. It's lovely to see a number of visitors. Uh, Before I pray, let me just draw your attention to two things. Uh, The first is you should have had one of these uh, flyers in the service sheet. This is for our guest service in two weeks' time on the prodigal son. And I'd love everyone to be praying for that, praying for me as I prepare, praying for those who will come, uh, praying for somebody who you might invite. Uh, It's a great opportunity to think of the story of the person who realizes they've run from God and they've ruined everything, and then they return and find a great welcome. Uh, So it'd be great to be praying for people to come and do be thinking who you might invite to that. Well, let's pray as we turn uh, to this famous passage. Let's pray together. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Father, we long that you would wield your sword amongst us this morning. Pray by your Spirit, your word would do its great work in each of our hearts, that you would have your way amongst us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Will you fight? I fight and you may die, run, and you'll live, at least a while, and dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days 
from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they shall never take our freedom. Stirring words. And if you've seen uh, the film Braveheart, you'll remember that scene as uh, Mel Gibson rallies a crumbling Scottish army, leading them into a mistaken battle against the English. But these words of Paul's, these famous words of Paul's, are just as uh, rallying. We need to hear the bugle this morning calling us to action. But it isn't an action driven by emotionalism or some might say misplaced nationalism or hatred of a common enemy. It's a call to be strong, verse 10, in the Lord and in his mighty power. These verses are rightly famous, but often we hear them out of context of Ephesians. This call to action is, is deeply linked with what we've seen over the last few weeks and months. It's linked to God's great plan for the universe, for the church, for each one of us. And if you've been with us and, we've, and you've grasped something of this plan, you'll remember how moving it is. Do you remember Paul has been telling us the mystery of the gospel? That God's plan is to unite everything in this universe, things on, in heaven and on earth, under his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's seen, we've seen that he's calling each one of us from death, from slavery to the devil, to new life. That he's raised us up and seated us in the heavenly realms with his son and blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But it's not just an individual message. He's told us that every barrier that divides humans in this world, racism, nationalism, uh, our different backgrounds, all of that is broken down in the gospel, in the church, as we come together as one family, without barrier or division. And the enemies of the gospel, both in heaven and on earth, see that united church, and they tremble, because it's a foretaste of what will come. It spells that their days are numbered, and one day they too must bow the knee before Jesus. Well, having laid out that vision, Paul has urged us, given that you're one in Christ, given that you're children of a holy father, live in the light of God's plan. Be united. Be holy. Build the church as you speak the truth in love to one another, as you proclaim the gospel to the world. And I wonder if you've gone away from here sometimes saying, thank you, God, for what you're doing, saying, Father, help me to live like that. I long to live in that way. And yet it's so hard. And this call at the end of this letter is so important because it gives us a note of realism. It's so hard because we're in a war. Well, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he gives us two ways to do that. First, put on the armor of God. And then secondly, pray in the spirit but before we look at that just see why it's so hard it's so hard for the church to be the church for us to be godly because verse 11 the devil is scheming see we have a powerful enemy verse 12 because our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and you see, behind all of the opposition to the church, behind disunity, is not human forces, but ultimately is the devil and his evil powers. 
And the way we see that is so often mundane. You might remember back in chapter 4 where Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Someone has a little argument in church. Somebody else says a prickly comment. Somebody grumbles. And in some ways they seem such trivial things. And yet Paul says the devil longs to get a foothold and smash apart the unity for which Christ has died. Because when the church is united, the devil trembles because it proclaims his end is near. So no wonder that evangelism is hard. No wonder it's hard to be godly because the devil rages. And so Paul says, be strong. Use his spiritual weapons. Don't forget you're in a spiritual fight. But equally, we mustn't be overly concerned with the devil. Some people picture a great wrestling match in heaven. And the Lord Jesus is is wrestling with the devil. and, And normally, Jesus is winning. But just occasionally, the devil gets the upper hand and and pins Jesus to the floor, so to speak. And when that happens, tragedy happens on earth. Well, that is never the picture in the Bible. Do you remember at the end of chapter 1 of this letter, Paul said, Christ has been raised from the dead and seated in the heavenly realms far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominions. No, Jesus is way above the devil. And yet until the final day, when he's publicly shown to be defeated, the devil rages. And so we need to be strong in the Lord. Well, the first way we do that is by putting on the armor of God. Look at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Or verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Well, just notice, first of all, it's God's armor. God supplies the armor, but it's also armor that he himself wears. In the Old Testament, the Lord himself and his Messiah come fighting to liberate his people, and they wear this same armor. I've put a few references on on the notice sheets if, if you'd like to chase that up afterwards. But it's God's armor. And Paul mentions six pieces here. Each one stands for a blessing that God has given to us. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God. And the point of this passage isn't to try and figure out how this armor fits together, how it might be worn by a Roman soldier or something like that. No, the point is we have these six blessings. God has given them to each one of us if we're Christians, but we are to put them on. We're to use them. Otherwise, they're just religious buzzwords, empty words. Well, first, put on the belt of truth. Put it on around our waists. The devil is the father of lies. Right from the beginning of time, his tactic has been to question God's word. Did God really say? And the devil whispers that to us, doesn't he? Surely this world is all there is. It's pointless trying to take a stand for Jesus. Just go with the flow. And Paul says, no. Wrap the truth around your waist. Belt this truth around your waist. Because the truth of God is that the world is heading somewhere. It's heading into unity under Christ. And nothing is more important than taking a stand for him. Paul says, take God's truth that I've told you in this letter 
and wrap it around your body so that when the devil attacks, as he surely will, you'll be able to knock away his lies. And next, make sure the breastplate of righteousness is in place. As it sounds, a breastplate, of course, is something that protects the chest. And one of the ways the devil attacks us is to say, Christian, you are not righteous. You're a fraud. God says to be godly, but you can't. And Paul says we withstand that kind of attack by ensuring the the breastplate is in place. And, of course, the truth is we aren't righteous. We've just confessed our sins. None of us is righteous. The wonderful truth of Christianity is it's not for good people. It's for those who know that they're not good, but who know that Jesus has died and that Jesus has borne the curse, that we, by faith, are united with him and clothed with his righteousness. We're justified, to use that technical term. And that means we're no longer under the power of the devil. So we can do what is right. We can live in the light, as Paul has said. Paul says, when the devil whispers, you're not righteous, you're a fraud, make sure the breastplate of righteousness is in place. Well, one of the things I take it the devil hates most is the peace that the gospel brings. Peace with God, that we who once were God's enemies are now his friends welcomed into his family. Peace with each other, that we who in many ways are so very different are united together as one new humanity. And so the devil attacks the peace. He sows discord. And so Paul says, fit your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a slightly odd expression. But I think the idea is that the gospel of peace makes us ready. It prepares us to be people who are at peace. The image, I think, is have your boots on. Be ready to go. So that when the devil attacks our peace... When he attacks our unity, we're able to go quickly to repair it. Be quick to forgive. Be quick to proclaim the gospel to each other, to say sorry. And if we do that, if our feet are fitted in this way, when the devil attacks, our unity will stand firm, will stay strong. Well, in addition to this, verse 16, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I'm told the word for shield here is not a kind of small round shield. It's almost a full length shield. And it would have been made by sticking two pieces of wood together and covering it with um, skin. And uh, as, a, as a, an enemy fired an arrow, this shield could be lifted up and nothing could penetrate it. Well, Paul says, take up that kind of shield. And what shield is it? It's faith that allows us to extinguish the arrows of the evil one. Faith is not trying to drum up something within us to to, to make ourselves believe something that we find to be untrue. No, faith is is, uh, laying hold of what God has said is true. In my house, I've got a a checkbook, not a bank checkbook, but it's a a checkbook written by C.H. Spurgeon, great preacher of the 19th century, and it's a checkbook of the Bank of Faith, And in it is a series of promises. And Spurgeon's point is the Bible is full of promises. But like a check, we need to take them to the bank and cash them. And the way we do that is by faith. We say, God, you've said this. And by faith, by prayer, I claim that. So maybe the devil whispers to us, if you put God first, 
you will never be popular. Your life will be ruined. You'll never get on in the world. The, the way to live in this world is not to put God first. And we remember the promise of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. And we take it to the bank of faith. Father, you've promised this. And I believe it by faith. So help me to trust it. And with that faith, we extinguish the arrows of the evil one. Well then, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Put this helmet on your head that says, I am saved, that I am alive with Christ, that I am seated in the heavenly realms, and on the last day, Jesus will save me. Devil, you may do your worst. You may take away my material blessings. You may cause my friends to forsake me. You may threaten my health. But I am saved, and I wear the helmet of salvation, and ultimately I am Christ's, and so you can do nothing to me. And then finally, middle of verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This book so often seems just like empty words on a page, doesn't it? And this reminds us, this book is the sword of the Spirit. Words made powerful by the Holy Spirit so that they are sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a weapon both of defense and attack. Remember Jesus in the wilderness as the devil appears to him and he tries to tempt him. And the way Jesus defeats him is by quoting scripture to him. Devil, you may say that, but God says clearly in his word something else. Be gone. And we saw in chapter 4 of Ephesians just how central the word of God is to the church. That as the apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers teach it to the church, so we are built up and equipped, and then we're enabled to speak the truth in love to one another and mature in Christ. And part of that maturity is being able to resist the devil. And I take it we yield the sword not, wield the sword not uh, just for ourselves, to protect ourselves, but to protect one another. So when someone is downcast, we encourage them with the words of the scripture. We wield the sword to drive Satan away. But it's also a word of attack. As we chatter the gospel in our offices, as we give some testimony to a friend of how God has worked in our lives, as we invite people to the guest service, as the gospel is proclaimed at the guest service, people who are held in the power of Satan are enabled to hear this word of truth. And Jesus begins to set them free. By the Holy Spirit, he works in their hearts, bringing new life to the dead. And as he does that, Satan's power is weakened. I woke up at about half past one on Saturday morning, and I was kind of attacked with all kinds of strange anxieties. My mind was whirling and worrying, and I can't even really remember what I was worrying about. But after about an hour of lying there, I finally said to myself, why am I lying here like an unbeliever with no faith. And mentally, I put on the belt of truth. I said to myself, my father is in absolute control of this world. Why am I acting as if that were not the case? Mentally, I picked up the shield of faith and I prayed, Father, you say in your word that even if I pass through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Help me to believe that and not worry. 
I put on the helmet of salvation. Even if the worst happens to me, I will pass from this life into the loving arms of the Lord Jesus. Friends, there's a tiny example of the way Satan tries to unnerve us and attack us. And we're to put on the armor of God and be strong in the Lord. Next time you feel anger rising, you feel the temptation to grumble against a a brother or sister, put on the armor of God. Next time you think, I'd love to tell that person something about Jesus, and the devil whispers, don't. Put on the armor of God and be strong in the Lord. On the day when it feels like all of hell is raging against your soul, put on the armor of God and be strong in the Lord. But we don't be strong in the Lord just by putting on this armor. The second way we be strong is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And compared to this this kind of rousing militaristic image, this seems, I think, like an anticlimax. We've gone from, from a battle scene to a cloister, someone on their knees in prayer. And yet, you see, this is just as much a way of being strong in the Lord. In fact, in some ways, it's given more prominence. There's six bits to the armor. There's just one command to pray. And as we come to this le- the end of this letter, we need to see the vital necessity of prayer. But I think it's worth owning that prayer is odd, isn't it? Prayer is a seriously odd thing. Why does an all-powerful God, who's in total control of the world, who's told us he has a plan that he will achieve, why does he need us to pray? Seems odd, doesn't it? And I think because it's odd, many of us are like practical deists. You know, the idea of a deist. The idea that God is, is like a watchmaker. And he's built the watch very carefully and intricately. And he's wound it up, and then he just leaves it to keep going. And occasionally he intervenes. There's some crisis. Someone's desperately sick and and we pray and and perhaps he does a miracle. But otherwise the watch just keeps winding, keeps on ticking. And if that's the way we view the world, then we won't pray. But the Bible never, ever pictures God like that. The Bible is really clear. God is actively sustaining the world. A sparrow does not fall from the air, but by his active control. And so we need to pray. And it seems an incredibly inefficient way to run the world. Why would you rely as an all-powerful being on the prayers of your people? Why would you give them a part in ruling the world? And we can't answer that. It's beyond our minds. But it's very clear that that is how God runs the world. And so Paul urges us, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Now what does that mean, in the Spirit? I think it means pray in the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ to the Father. It's not some sort of ecstatic uh, thing. It's saying pray. But when we pray, realize what you're doing. You're speaking in the power of the Spirit through Christ to your Heavenly Father, the ruler of the universe. And so do it on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. And Paul goes on to say, be alert. Just as Jesus warned his disciples, recognize the time. Recognize we're in this battle and pray for all the saints. And then says, Paul, pray in particular for me. Striking, Paul is in prison. And what is he most concerned about? Not his health in that damp dungeon. Not his freedom 
no, pray for the gospel to go out. Verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Not that the other things aren't important. We're not going to look at the last few verses, but just notice he's sending Tychicus so that the, the Ephesians will know how it's going with him. Now, these other things are important, but the most important thing that Paul longs prayer for is the gospel goes out, that the church is built up. And when we put these two things together, we see that, I think. First, that the mystery of the gospel will go out so the church may grow outwardly, that more may come in. And then pray for Christians, pray for the saints, that the church may be the church, that we might know Christ and live for him. And that's exactly what Paul's modeled, isn't it, in the two prayers he's prayed in this letter. And we need to do it because the devil is raging. It's just worth asking, do our prayers on our own in our small groups at the prayer meeting, do they look like this? Do they reflect the fact that we desperately need his help to be strong in the Lord? I often wonder if we're more concerned about the things of this world. Now, clearly, Paul says, offer all kinds of prayers on all kinds of occasions. But if we never got, get beyond praying for our sore backs, the stress at work, our tiredness, the exams, then we're asleep. We've forgotten who we are, that we're in a great battle. Paul says, pray urgently because we need to be strong. J.O. Fraser was a missionary to the Lisu people in China. And before he set sail from England to China, he gathered a team of people to pray for him. And he arrived in China and began to learn the language, began to, to work hard at proclaiming the gospel. And he'd write back updates to his prayer supporters. And one time he wrote back very sweetly, but very firmly, and said, friends, nothing seems to be happening. Could it be that you're not praying? And they're challenging words, aren't they? As I think of some of the things that we're thinking about since Stevens, we've been trying for a long time to find office space. And I had to ask myself, we're working very hard to do that. But could it be that I'm not praying? Other areas where we long to grow. We're trying very hard, but are we trying with human efforts and not praying? Somewhat John Piper has pictured prayer as a walkie-talkie to God. And you can imagine a little platoon of soldiers in a desert somewhere. And uh, they see the enemy on the horizon. And they know that uh, it's a far superior force. They desperately need some support. So they pull out their walkie-talkie. And they call HQ and call down an airstrike. And, and they're safe as that enemy is destroyed. And they don't hesitate to pull out their walkie-talkie because they know on their own they're doomed. And I think that's the image. Do you see, we have a, a hotline to HQ. We have a walkie-talkie that gives us access to tremendous power. And we need to use it. We need to call down God's power. But do we? Well, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So put on the armor of God. These are not buzzwords or, or nice ideas. We need to put them on. And we need to pray and call down that great power. Well, let's take a moment. And then let's pray and ask for his help. Father, thank you so much for what we've seen in this letter. Thank you for revealing to us the mystery of the gospel, your great plan for the world.
and thank you for the call you've given to us. And yet, Father, we see that we're in a great battle. We cannot fight this fight. We cannot stand firm by ourselves. So, Father, help us. Please help each one of us to put on the armour of God. Help those who maybe are not yet yours to, to uh, re- reflect on these truths and, and look to Jesus. And help them, too, to put on this armour and to stand firm. We pray for our unity. Protect us from the devil. Keep us united. Keep us holy. Keep us walking in the light. And help us that all the glory might go to Jesus and that the devil might be defeated and that we might live well in your world for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.